the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You don't pursue God. God pursued you. You've never pursued God. I've never pursued God. We respond to His pursuit, but He has been the one that has been actively pursuing us. The Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And some of you think, well, wait a minute. I, I sought God. That's how I became a Christian. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I sought God. No, no, no. You did not seek God. God sought you. You responded to God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Christians can often be heard to say that they accepted the Lord or received Christ. Some think this is arrogance, as though Christ would need to beg us to come to Him, when obviously we are the ones that should be begging Him. In today's study... Pastor Gary shows us how God pursued Jacob in order to fulfill his own will. Jacob, like all of us, was much too preoccupied with himself to bother with seeking God. So it is even now that God comes to us, presenting us with the choice of life and death, light or darkness, our way or his. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you could get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, Lessons from a Ladder. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. This is where we are, Genesis 28. Here's where we are in this story. Jacob is on the run. Jacob, the twin brother of Esau, because he has deceived his father Isaac and his brother Esau. He deceived his dad into blessing him for the blessing that dad intended for his brother Esau. When Esau finds out this wicked scheme, he is outraged. And thus the Bible says that he held a grudge. That was the topic of last week's study. And he was so deeply resentful that he wanted to kill his brother Jacob. So Jacob is fleeing for his life. He's on the run. He's going to wait 20 years for his brother to cool down and then they will reunite. But even then it will be very tense in the time that they come back together. But here he is running for his life. He's never going to see his mother again. During the 20 years that he's distant, uh, his mom is going to die. And he goes to her homeland. She's from Padanaram, particularly the town of Haran. The town of Haran is located today on the border of Turkey and Syria, the southeastern point of Turkey where it collides with the northern border of Syria. 
It's 500 miles of a journey for Jacob. And God is going to get his attention. 50 miles into this 500-mile journey, the Lord is going to give him a dream. And he's going to appear to Jacob. And God is going to work on this man. We're going to see in the following chapter starting today how much God works on this guy. He needs to hammer some things, some character flaws out of his life. You have to remember, this is a guy who is he's in his 70s. He's not married. He's unemployed. He's been living with his parents. His mom has been doing his laundry and packing his lunches all his life. He's never been out on his own, never gotten his fingernails dirty, never had a job in his life, and he doesn't really have a relationship with God. Despite the fact that he's grown up in a home, he's the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. Jacob doesn't really have much of a relationship with God. There's no mentioning of this guy praying. There's no mentioning of this guy building an altar worshiping God. There's no mentioning of this guy making a sacrifice. There's no real measurable relationship that he has with God. And this 500-mile journey that he's on is going to turn out to be more than a journey of miles. It's going to be a journey of maturity where God's going to get a hold of this guy and get his attention. And God's going to do it another time. We'll get to that later. But there's going to be different periods where God really tries to get a hold of this guy because God has predetermined that he will be the father of a great nation that will end up bearing his name. And so he's got a lot of work to do on this guy. So this is where we are. We're 50 miles into this 500-mile journey when Jacob goes to bed at night and he has this dream that is recorded here in Genesis 28. I'm going to start reading at verse 10 down through the end of the chapter. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway, some of your Bibles will say a ladder, resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, if you grew up in church, if you particularly as a kid went to Sunday school, this story is a familiar story to you. The story of Jacob having this dream and this stairway or this ladder. You grew up in Sunday school, you remember the story of Jacob's ladder. In fact, he probably even sang that song. There was this little song he'd sing in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. 
we are climbing Jacob's ladder, and up and up you went. And if you didn't happen to grow up in church and you didn't go to Sunday school, you still sang about this song, but it was Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Because he wrote, that song was still based on this story. And even Bruce Springsteen wrote Jacob's Ladder. There's a whole lot of songs about this story that we're reading about here. And by the way, all the songs, including the Sunday school song that's been around since the mid-1800s, have wrong doctrine. They do. Because the songs are about you climbing up the ladder. The Sunday school song that every little kid was singing was like, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Higher, higher, soldiers of the cross. Nobody's on the ladder. In this story, it's only angels are ascending and descending. There are no people climbing on this ladder. We've been corrupting the minds of our little kids since the 1800s. If you just work hard, kids, you can maybe climb your way to Jesus one day. If you're good enough. By the way, the rungs are greasy, too. Hope you don't slip. Seriously, I remember singing this song as a little kid. And I'd be like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to try to be a good boy and climb my way to heaven. It makes the whole story here a works-oriented thing. And I remember, too, as a kid, this shows you how twisted I was, just more reasons to pray for me. I remember associating this song with Jack and the Beanstalk. I remember thinking to myself, it's just like that, right? We're just climbing our way. Finally, we're going to get up to heaven. I sure hope God's not grumpy. I sure hope when I get up there, he's not going to be like, well, fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of a sinner. Look at you, kid. You know, and kick me back off the ladder. It was just, you know, that was the way I was indoctrinated. It was just feeling like, I hope I can get there. I think I can. Hope I'm good enough for grumpy God. No. What are we doing to ourselves? I need serious help. I'm still getting over this. But anyhow, as I read the story... It's refreshing to me now to know the true story here. These are angels ascending and descending. No people, no people climbing the ladder. Why? Because the true meaning of this story is not about how we can get to him. It's about how he's come to us. The ladder here. This is a reference to the fact God's communicating to Jacob in this dream that he, God, is accessible for us. He is familiar with us. He is faithful to us. That's what this dream is all about. This is God's way of reaching a man that was on the run that really had not much time or awareness of God. And it was God's way of saying, I've come to you. Jesus, by the way, says that this dream refers to himself. In John 1.51, you don't need to turn if you don't want to, but you can jot the verse down. John 1.51, Jesus is having a conversation with Nathaniel, one of the 12 that he's just chosen. And Jesus says to Nathanael, John 1.51, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was making a direct reference to Genesis 28. Jesus is saying, I am the ladder. I am the means by which God has come to you. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the bridge between a pure and holy God and sinful humanity. And you can have relationship with God through faith in me. That was the greater message of what Jesus was saying in John 1.51. He is the ladder in the story of Genesis 28. Well, here we have this dream. And this dream is so that God can personally communicate to this stubborn, rebellious man on the run. And this is the first time that God appears to Jacob, albeit through a dream, but nevertheless, he appears to him. And God reiterates the covenant promise 
that he had made with Jacob's father Isaac and Jacob's grandfather Abraham. Look at the verses again, verses 13 through 15. Verse 13, there above it, there above the ladder, the stairway, stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth, notice this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Your attention for a moment. Basically, three things to the covenant. Number one, a people. The people are the Jews. Number two, a place. The place is the land of Israel. God gave it on covenant oath to the Jewish people. Number three, in particular, had to do with a person. This is a messianic promise. When God says there in verse 14, through you and your offspring, all nations will be blessed, he's referring to the fact that a Jewish Messiah by the name of Yeshua, Jesus, will be born from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's seed, and that Jesus, that Messiah, will be the Savior of the world, and all who put faith and trust in Jesus will forever be blessed. That Jewish Messiah, God has his redemptive plan, you and me in mind, when he sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for our sins. That's the ultimate covenant blessing that we all receive through faith in Jesus. And this encounter that God has here with Jacob through this dream is, for lack of a better term, Jacob's conversion experience. This is when he really fully believes in the God of Abraham and Isaac. And now he's going to make him his own God. God's not done with this guy yet. He still has some more character flaws that have to be hammered out. But this is the beginning here, this conversion moment where Jacob begins to draw near to the God of his father, Abraham and Isaac. He was far from God. Jacob really had no particular motivation for the things of God. He was only interested in himself and his own personal gain. He was not interested in spiritual things. And this experience here teaches Jacob, this dream that he has here, teaches Jacob some things, very important things about God, about the character and nature of God, and about his own personal relationship with, or the lack thereof, with God. And there's some good things for us to learn in here as well. Familiar lessons maybe to some of you. For those of you who are new to the Lord or you're trying to figure out things about the Lord, this is is a good beginning point for you as it was a good beginning point for Jacob. And here's the first thing, if you all like to take notes, lessons from a ladder. Here's the first thing that Jacob begins to learn. He learns about the pursuit of God. When I say that, I don't mean Jacob's pursuit of God. I mean the pursuit of God as in God's pursuit. This is his pursuit. God is pursuing Jacob here. Jacob doesn't have the foggiest idea about God, despite the fact that he's grown up in a relatively spiritual home, though the influence of his parents were not the greatest examples of some lying and deception going on. But be that as it may, he begins to realize for the first time how much God has been on the hunt for him. I want you to understand this as a basic principle of the character and nature of God. You don't pursue God. God pursued you. You've never pursued God. I've never pursued God. We respond to his pursuit. But he has been the one 
that has been actively pursuing us. The Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And some of you think, well, wait a minute. I, I sought God. That's how I became a Christian. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I sought God. No, no, no. You did not seek God. God sought you. You responded to God. God has always been, to coin a term from the poet uh, Francis Thompson, who wrote Hound of Heaven in the 1800s. God is the Hound of Heaven. He has been on the hunt for you. And He has been actively pursuing to seek you because He loves you. And He wants to have a relationship with you. God is the pursuer. Speaking of songs, songs that we sang in Sunday school, Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Okay, that one wasn't the most doctrinally correct song. But there's a good hymn of the faith. Victory in Jesus, very doctrinally sound. Many, maybe many of you grew up singing that song as well. The first stanza says, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning of His precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. And then the chorus goes, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Listen, He sought me. And bought me with his redeeming blood. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is the seeker here? Who is the pursuer in this story in Genesis 28? It's God. God is the one who is seeking Jacob. God is the one who is pursuing Jacob, not the other way around. And what's amazing is, God is choosing to seek Jacob to have relationship with this guy this 70-year-old, deceitful, rebellious, on-the-run mama's boy, that's the guy that God wants on his team. He has chosen to use this guy, even though he's not, again, there's nothing spiritually, you know, vibrant about this guy. He's not really seeking God, praying to God, no reference of altars or, or sacrifice. This guy is just completely about himself. It wasn't as if God looked at him and said, you are one sharp cookie, I need you. No, God saw him for who he could be, not for who he is. That's the way God chooses us. It's not on the basis of who we are. It's not like God wakes up one day and says, man, you, you could make a difference for the kingdom. No, he looks at all of us and thinks, you need some work. And I sent Jesus to die for you. And in spite of how we are, Jesus sees us as we can be in Christ. The Bible says in Romans 4, 17, that he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. There's nothing impressive about any of us that God chose us for his purposes. He chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the things that are weak to shame the strong. This is God's plan for us. There's nothing impressive about us. There's nothing impressive about Jacob. The other morning when I got up, I went outside and Friday night, I guess there'd been like a little sprinkle or maybe just the dew from the night before. You know how worms come out on the sidewalk? They all come out on the sidewalks, but they're dumb. You know, they're worms, right? They don't know how to get back to moisture. So they're all struggling on the sidewalks. The sun starts to come out, the sidewalk gets dry and you see them struggling to get back to the dirt. They can't get back to the dirt. So I came out, I'm seeing these worms struggling on the sidewalk and thinking, look at these things. So I just decided to stomp on them, put them out of the misery. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I could have. He gave us dominion right here in the Word. You're a worm. <laughs> but I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pick it up, fling it back into the grass, let it be on its merry way. And never once did I look at that little struggling worm trying to get across the sidewalk and think, you know what, 
that worm is going to improve my life. Not a bit. That's the way God looks at us. I hate to burst your bubble. But you and I are like worms trying to get across a dry sidewalk. I don't know how I'm going to navigate life. And God's like, yeah, I know. You need some help, don't you? And he picks us up and throws us in the grass. Says, what you need is my son. But he never once looked at us and thought, you are going to make a big difference in the kingdom. He sees us as worms that are struggling. God's not impressed with any of us. But he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us because he sees us as who we are in him. He sees us in the image of who he is. And he loves us enough that he sent his son to die for us. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you are saved. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. When God got a hold of your heart, what were you? Were you impressive? Were you powerful? No, he says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In other words, so that nobody can get up to heaven and feel like, well, I know you've been waiting for me. I'm just going to make a dramatic impact in heaven now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sure you want to welcome me into the kingdom, don't you? No, he's not. He's not. Thank God you're here. Now we can get on with a real great time. God is infinitely patient with us. He's merciful and he loves us. We didn't bring anything impressive to the table. Jacob doesn't bring anything impressive here to the table. He's not the one who's pursuing God. God pursued him. God pursues you and me. And aren't you thankful how he's been on the hunt for us and so patient for us that he would pursue us with his love until we would finally respond to him. That's the nature of God. And Jacob begins to learn this as well as he learns about the presence of God. He wakes up from this dream and he has a brand new awareness that God has been with him all this time. In verse 16, it says, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And it says that he was afraid. Why was he afraid? There are a lot of people who think that God is distant. Listen, God is not distant from you. What happens is when we're living in sin and rebellion to God, and we're aware of our sinfulness, we feel distant from God. That's why Jacob was afraid, because he knew he'd been living a life of sin and deceit. And now he has an encounter with God and he's afraid because he realizes the dream has brought him into the holy presence of God. He's afraid because of who he is. But God has always been near. God is never leaving us nor forsaking us. He's always near to us. It's our sin that makes us feel distant from God. But God's not distant from us. He's nearby. The Bible says in Psalm 145 verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to to the brokenhearted. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's who God is. He's always near to us. He's not far. He's right near. David understood this in the Psalms. That's why he would write in Psalm 139, he says, where can I go from your spirit? There's no place I can go to escape your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, 
If I settle on the far side of the sea, you're there. We hope that today's edition of Cornerstone Connection has been a blessing to you. The messages that you hear daily on Cornerstone Connection are produced from worship services at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. And if you're out of our local area, you can always watch our services streamed live online. We have both midweek and weekend worship services. To learn more about our service times and our other ministries, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Now, we also want to be sure to tell you how to get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching. Simply log on to our website where you'll find the complete library of Pastor Gary's messages available for download. Again, that free download is available at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Another great way to stay current with Cornerstone Chapel is to download the free Cornerstone Chapel mobile app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for more information. We wish we could share the rest of this teaching from the book of Genesis, but we've run out of time for today. Next time, Pastor Gary will continue through this insightful study right here on Cornerstone Connection. Hey, you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.